Welcome to That's Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing through sharing to help you create a happier life. This week, our topic is taking minority mental health seriously. Takiyah Blackman is a mental health advocate that desires to see good mental health practices in minority communities. She's the creator and host of the Fireflies Unite podcast. But here's the interesting part. Takiya earned a master's degree in public relations and corporate communications from Georgetown University and a bachelor's degree in radio, television, and film production from Howard University. So Takiya, tell me, with all of that background in television, how did you end up in mental health? Because of my personal experience. Okay. So I am a, a two-time suicide survivor and I started struggling, I would say, with my mental health as a child. but. Of course, in the black community, it's not something that's talked about. Right. I didn't know what suicide meant at the time. Mm -hmm. I just knew as a child, I had thoughts pretty often about harming myself and not wanting to be alive. And what I did was I often suppressed it. Okay. And I would say around the time I was about maybe 24 or 25, I felt like I was paralyzed one day, like I couldn't get out the bed. I felt as if like I had a ton of bricks laying on top of my body. Okay. And I also felt like with the anxiety piece of it, that I was like in the middle of an ocean and constantly flapping my arms to stay afloat, but I actually never drowned. How old were you? Um, about 24 or 25 at the time. Now, what is your earliest memory though in your childhood of feeling that or having that experience? I would say about 12 or 13. And now, do you remember any experience or trauma connected to that that brought that yes, up? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So my mom um, was abused by my sibling's dad. And so I watched my mom be verbally and physically abused. Okay. My father also was incarcerated. So he have, he's always been in and out of prison since I can remember. Okay. And I remember seeing my father as a child and often feeling embarrassed because he would be so high off on the drugs that he couldn't like stay up. I did not want him to come to any functions because I would mm -hmm. be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So the trauma of having a father who was addicted to drugs and then also watching my mom be abused mm -hmm. by my siblings dad definitely played a role in my mental health. Okay, so what was the first time that you thought maybe I need to get some help for this? So I really did it. I actually, about two and a half years ago, the moment where I was saying I was feeling like I had this, like I was paralyzed, I wasn't eating, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was barely sleeping, I would sleep too much sometimes or some days I wouldn't sleep at all. So only time I would get up was really to maybe use the bathroom. That was pretty much it. And I got to a point where I remember texting a friend and I told her that it would be better if I wasn't alive, but I didn't tell her at the time that I had an attempt. So from there, she, I guess, got an inkling that something is not right. Mm -hmm. And she called the police and they showed up at my house. But at the time, I didn't know that she was the one to call the police. I didn't know until maybe a week or two weeks later. So the police showed up and they, uh, basically tried to break into the window and I heard them, but I was too weak to get up. Okay. And so they asked, well, could, you know, can you make your way to the door? And it seemed like it took me forever to get to the door. And so they kind of like had, I was trying to open the door, but they kind of had to like break in the door. Yeah. 
And so once they started asking me questions, they asked me when was the last time you ate? I told them, I don't know. Um, they asked me if I tried to harm myself and I told them that I tried to, well not I tried to, I told them that I took I don't know how many pills and drank a bottle of wine and I was hoping that I would go to sleep and wouldn't get up. And from there they called the paramedics and they were like that you have to go to the hospital because at this point you're a threat to yourself and you're not safe. So we can handcuff you and take you or either we, you know, we can wait for the paramedics to come. And so I was like, well, I've never been arrested, so I think I'm just going to go with the paramedics. Okay. And so when they came there, they, um, I went to the hospital and I don't remember everything that happened, but what I do remember is the psychiatrist evaluating me and asking me questions. And one of the questions he asked me is um, if I knew what uh, day it was, if I knew like who the president was. Mm -hmm. And I knew who the president was, it was Obama at the time, but I did not know the date. Um, I did not know what month it was. Okay. And at that moment, I started realizing that maybe something really is wrong. And so they told me, we can't let you go, you have to stay here. And I remember them taking me up to the psychiatric unit and I just started crying because I said, I don't belong here. And I remember one of the workers saying, what do you mean you don't belong here? I was like, because I have a master's degree from Georgetown and a bachelor's from Howard. And people like me, we don't come to these type of places. And the lady said, well, you know, people that are highly educated, they get sick too. And right now mm -hmm. your brain is sick and you need to get help. How'd that make you feel? I, you know, I was angry at the time because I felt like, why couldn't I control it? Like, why did it have to get to that point? But as I started therapy, and I've been okay. with the same therapist for three years, I started realizing that it's just like if a person was to have any other uh, undiagnosed disease or illness. If you let it fester long enough, it will, can potentially, potentially harm you or kill you. And I had to look at mental illness and my case was generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. Okay. And I had to look at it as me having an illness since I was, let's say it started around 12 or 13 and not being treated till I was about 24 or 25. Now, the story that you're giving me now, is that your first attempt? The first attempt that I had, I was 14. But what I did was I tried to take some pills, but I like heard someone coming and so I like, spit the pills out really fast. So I didn't like, Okay. I wasn't able to follow through with Got it. Got it. Girl. So how long did you stay in the hospital? I was in the hospital for about a month, but not, it was in between two different programs. So at first I was inpatient, where I literally, I felt like I was in jail because you can't see out the window. You have to ask to use the telephone. You have to ask when you can take a shower. It was just, it was not a good experience for me, but I knew that looking back is what I needed. So I was in there, I think for about three days. And then after that, they um, allowed me to transition to the partial hospitalization program where I'm in the hospital, but I get to go home. So I'm in the hospital for about six hours a day, okay. Monday through Friday, in therapy for about five and a half, six hours a day. So there's group sessions, and you do recreational therapy and you're in a group with other people. Now, when you were in the inpatient status, what happened to the rest of your life 
for instance, were you working? Did your friends look for you? Did they find you? Did your family look for you? Did they find you? What happens the rest of your life while you were an inpatient? So I called my family. My, I'm originally from New Jersey. So I remember calling, I think it was my mom, but I couldn't get her at the time. So I called my aunt and I told her, and I remember my aunt saying, oh my God, you do not belong there with those people. And immediately, I, I don't know if I was offended, but I, I definitely, maybe I was offended because I'm like, I must be those like those people if I'm here. And my family rushed down from New Jersey by the time I was out. So once my family got down, I remember having the conversation to the, uh, with them and letting them know, this is what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it was still very new for them. But coming to find out that my mom said the more I started talking, the more she started realizing that she was experiencing the exact same thing. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did she seek help from that point? No, she did not seek help immediately. Uh. Um, she, she, she was still learning because of what my experience has been. Mm -hmm. And my family, they all were still coming to terms with it just because they look at, they see the accomplishments. They see, oh, she's, you know, she's educated. Mm -hmm. They see she's, I, that, or rather myself, that I've been, you know, I had opportunities with TV One and BET. They look at my accomplishments and me working or having my own apartment and a car and looking at it as if, oh, she's functional, so she should be okay. Yeah they would limit it to just like the person walking down the street talking to themselves. And that's when I had to explain to my family and other people that that's just a portion of people who live with a mental illness. Yes. There's people who you, you, would, you can't tell by just looking at them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so my family has definitely been a great support system and even people that I have here, they've been a really great support system. But you set off a domino effect of changing your family tree Mm -hmm. by giving them the information that they needed to one now recognize it and two make the decision to seek help because you said your mom didn't do it immediately but she did eventually yes yeah, so okay. she she hasn't been consistent but she has like gone to see a psychiatrist mm -hmm. um we've talked about finding her a therapist and me i was explaining to her that it doesn't happen overnight so i tell her you know i've been with the same therapist for three years and I've made a tremendous amount of progress, okay. but that's me being consistent and actually working the tools because therapy doesn't work unless you, you work. work. Right. <laughs> and I always tell, I remember telling one of, uh, I think it was my aunt, I was like, yeah, my therapist doesn't tell me what to do. And she was like, no, she doesn't. I said, no, they help guide you. And I'm able to come, you know, learn mm -hmm. and see what different patterns I have, whether it's thinking patterns or behaviors, I'm like, that's what a therapist is supposed to do. They don't sit down and tell you what you should do. And even my aunt has said to me, you know, I really think I need to go to therapy. She's never actually sought treatment of any kind, but I've been seeing and realizing that she is dealing with a depression too, but maybe she's in denial. But I, I, I'm really starting to realize these things. And even as a child, I remember moments of my mom not being able to get out of bed. But I don't, I just thought maybe she was sick. Well, mm -hmm. she was sick. Mm -hmm. um, but I just really couldn't understand all that was going on. 
And so I do see that it has been, um, my family is open to talking about it more because of me actually saying this is my story. Yeah, yeah. You've actually broke new ground in your family and that's wonderful because now at least, you know, it, it's a process. Mm -hmm. First, it has to be accepted mentally. Then it has to hit them and hit them once they accept it mentally, emotionally. And then they will begin to step out and actually seek assistance for the things that they're feeling, the things that you're describing and teaching them that are emotional and mental health issues. How I, does that make you feel? You know, that it's you're groundbreaking in your family. It's actually something that I'm really proud of because yeah. I'm amazed at how something that I was once so ashamed of mm -hmm. is actually inspiring people to take control of their mental health, of course, in my family, but even outside of my family. I remember getting an email from a young lady who listens to the podcast and saying that she, for her birthday, her, her birthday present to herself was going to her first session of therapy. Ah. And that's when I started to realize that being tr there's nothing wrong with saying I have struggled with any mental illness. It can be anything from bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, mm -hmm. no matter what the mental illness is. By owning my truth is very liberating because now I, I'm not fearful of what someone else may think about me. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I struggle with depression, but it's a part of my story. It's not who I am. I'm not just simply a suicide survivor. There's so many other parts of me. And so one of the things that I've learned is that even times I remember just being in college, I had moments of like not wanting to get out of bed and feeling suicidal, but I never really sought treatment. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've learned during this process is that owning my truth is very liberating and it's also healing, not just myself, but the people within my circle. Now, back to the details of your story and where you did, how long was that the impatient? So, yeah, so Couple the inpatient was about three days. Okay, and then you did outpatient, where you were just there for six hours a day, and then you would go home. Mm -hmm. Do you feel as if doing it in those steps helped you, or could you have just done the three days and then been fine? No, because I was, like, kind of just got diagnosed. I was still somewhat in denial because, you know, I was brought up in the church. So for me, I felt like I would be giving myself this illness because the scripture about life and death being in the power of the tongue. tongue. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, if I say this out loud, that means I'm giving myself depression. But then I had to tell myself, like, if a person has cancer, if they say it out loud, they're not giving themselves something. It's right. just stating what the reality is. Mm -hmm. But what I can say in my faith is I can say that I am healed. It's and so sometimes I, in my experience, I, for a very long time after that experience, I was pulled away from the church because I felt like the church didn't understand me. I felt judged. You know, I was told that, oh, the medicine's gonna make you worse. You know, I was told to talk in tongues for 20 minutes a day and that it would get better. It was just things Girl. that... <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. So, but I know that the people who was explaining this or telling me this, their heart was in the right place. It's just, they were un, 
educated when it came to mental health. And that's when I knew that I needed to speak out about, uh, speak out about what my experience mm -hmm. is and what it has been. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I needed inpatient. Of course, when my, when I initially found out that my friend was the one called, I was angry. Yeah. But looking back, I knew that she was trying to protect me. She was trying to make sure that I was safe and I was okay. And I honestly, you know, thank God for her because I don't think that if she called when she did that I would be here. Wow. And so I know that it's important to also have that support system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You rock. Thank you. You know that? Do you know that though? Do you, I'm, do well, you, know, do you know that in here? You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I have been telling myself that I'm a, you know, I'm an overachiever. So it's very hard for me to, what I do is I get things done and I often check it off my list mm -hmm. and keep it moving. I'm working on right now ask, actually basking in the glory of the things that I have accomplished mm -hmm. so far, just yeah, this year alone. Yeah. And so I've been telling myself that, you know, for the most part, I can say I'm proud of the progress that I've made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back to get into more of Takia's story. Woo! <laughs> After this. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true authentic self? It is possible and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage, How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy, shares how to resolve emotional baggage. And feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. And we're back with Zakia Blackman and we're talking about taking mental health in the minority community seriously. And you just struck all of us with the extraordinary story of your second attempt at suicide, how you overcame it. You were groundbreaking in your family as to opening up the discussion of mental health and actually seeking help outside of the immediate family circle and outside of the church circle. Mm -hmm. But going to a professional that can actually help someone digest, understand, and resolve some of that. Now, do you feel that depression is a state of being and it's ongoing? Or is it something that um, somebody can uh, work their way out of? Well, I'll just have to say this. I'm not a clinician, <laughs> but from my experience mm -hmm. and with the research that I have done, you know, mental illness and we're talking about depression, it can be something that's genetic. Mm -hmm. It can also be environmental. So the things that are happening, you know, around you. Mm -hmm. So I personally, there is a difference and I've had this discussion with um, Patrice Douglas on my podcast. There's a difference between depression and sadness. And a lot of times people tend to use them interchangeably. And I'm like, they're not the same. No. Sadness, you can push yourself <laughs> through sadness. Yes. 
depression, you can't. Mm -hmm. There's no way. If I could mm -hmm. have done it, I would. Right. Right. So they really watered down the use of the term. Yes. Depression. Yes. People saying things like, oh, I'm so depressed because my TV show isn't coming back on. I'm like, stop it. You're not <laughs> depressed. You know, so it, it does get frustrating because it it an experience that caused me to be hospitalized. Yes. And almost out of my mind to the point where I, I may have known my name, but I wasn't completely here. So to have an experience like that for someone to just brush it off. I remember a relative saying to me when I was in the hospital because I also got really isolated even after I got out of the hospital because I was shameful. I was afraid what people would say about me. And she said, oh, I thought you was in the hospital because you had cancer. And it kind of made me feel like, well, because I'm telling you that I had a suicide attempt versus someone who may be a cancer patient, mm. that cancer is more important. No, they're both illnesses and they both can kill people. But why did she think cancer? Nobody told her cancer. No. So it's just because when people think about depression, they think of it just like, oh, I'm just being sad. You know, I, I, I can easily push through it. But mm -hmm. I couldn't easily push through it because I stopped eating. I definitely was funky because I wasn't showering. <laughs> I was not taking care of my hygiene out one bit. I was barely eating. Okay. So, no, depression is not something that anyone can push through. And it's not just only therapy for me. I have to be mm -hmm. honest. I see my psychiatrist every month, and I also take medication to help with my depression, but also my anxiety. I take medication for both. And so while, yes, I do have a goal of eventually getting, uh, not needing the medication anymore mm -hmm. where I can, I'm still using my coping strategies, but I'm also in a space in my life where I'm going through a transition and I'm also not judging myself for actually needing the medication to assist me. Now, what's the transition you're going through? So I'm in a transition right now where I've actually, so last year um, around this time, I started having a relapse. The okay. suicidal thoughts started coming back. I wasn't doing well. And so I, my therapist actually thought it would be best for me to stop working because I was not wow. doing well. Okay. I was getting to the point where I wasn't concentrating at work. I was always getting in trouble for being late. It just really, it was just a ripple effect. Okay. And so it just so happened that right around the time when I was getting ready to stop working, my contract also ended with um, one of the clients that I was working with. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I was like, well, I am, how am I going to pay? You know, I have to live. I have an apartment. And so my friend, a really close friend of mine, she actually allowed me to move into her home. So that way, because I did not want to go back to New Jersey because I associate with New Jersey with trauma. And unfortunately, because my mom is still working out of, to be able to try to get out of that abusive relationship that she's been in since I was 12 years old. Wow. So it's been almost three decades that yeah. she's been experiencing that. Mm -hmm. So my friend allowed me to come into her home and she's married with three children and really took me under her wing. And she's come to therapy with me to try to figure out how do I best support Takia, mm -hmm. actually to really understand what the illness is and how it impacts me. And it has not been easy, you know, for her at all. But I'm really grateful that I have someone like her in my yeah. life. And yeah. so with that transition is now me transitioning and actually moving out of my friend's home um, to being back on my own. Okay. Um, and so that's when I try to explain to people what depression 
can really do do to someone to the point where you can't work. At one point, I was on disability, you know, because I really I was trying to explain to people is it's not something that you can just pray away or you can shake off. And so right. I'm grateful for the treatment team that I've had in the hospital, for my therapists, you know, for my psychiatrist, my support system. A lot of people have huddled around me and done, you know, what they what they could. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been easy for my support system because when I'm in an episode, I'm not myself. I'm very, very, very snappy if I'm in an episode. I'm easily agitated just because there's a lot going on for me mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And But one of the things that I had to learn too is that people are not mind readers. You have to tell your support system what it is that you need. Okay. So for instance, I had to tell one of my friends, you know, I really appreciate that you all are checking on me and texting me. But sometimes, you know, the text messages can be overwhelming because it forces me to relive or those resurface those emotions. Sometimes I just physically want someone to physically be there. I want your presence to be there. Okay. So suggesting maybe we should go for a walk or let's go out to eat. Um, I realized now, and that's a list of coping skills, right? What you're going through right now and and where the individual is telling their support group because I need you all to pay attention and to take all of this down so that when you have these thoughts you have these feelings you can exercise all this excellence that Takia is dropping mm -hmm. on us right now <laughs> because we do not want any more Sonosha's mm -hmm. you know yeah we there there are so many of us that are out here that are willing to help that have the information, whether it's from a real life perspective or from a clinical perspective, there's help out here. Yeah. So reach out, YouTube channels, Instagram. There's organizations like the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They right. have chapters all over the world. There's an awesome organization called This Is My Brave. They offer, um, they give people the chance to share their stories, but it's more so peer support. And that's something that I realized that I truly needed was peer support. Okay. Cause I was like, I have a therapist, I have a psychiatrist. And actually it was very comforting for me to be in the partial hospitalization program because I was surrounded by people who's also been in the psychiatric unit. Okay. When I came out of the hospital, I felt like, how do I kind of function back into society? Because a person who's been in there multiple times, even though my experience has been once, but you can become institutionalized and sometimes it can be hard to adjust mm -hmm. into society. And I felt kind of lost. And so one of the things that I did was I discovered that there's um, a certification that they have that I'm currently working on to be a recovery coach and a certified peer specialist where I'm the person the middle person I'm between the consumer but and also the clinician so that way I'm trying to be what I needed in my most dark days so mm -hmm. someone can have a a therapist and a psychiatrist but a recovery coach is someone who is further along in their recovery process mm -hmm. so I can talk about what my experiences have been like in the psychiatric unit and help someone who's just got out of the psychiatric unit and they still have their clinicians but actually still helping them work toward their goals. Takia is evidence. The career you pursue is not the same as the purpose you were meant to serve. Please stop allowing traditional barriers to keep you from going after your dream because so many people are following their dreams. If you are experiencing any difficulties in life, 
there is help available. Reach out. Whether it's fear, anxiety, low self-esteem, or even suicidal thoughts, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. To reach out to Takiya, finds her at fireflyesunite.com. We're here for you because I know sometimes we don't want to be fixed. We just want to be heard. Make the commitment to start your journey to emotional healing today. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out that's AnitaLive.com for where and when to see our next episode.